Welcome to Haven, the podcast where we explore the vast landscape of loss. There's no going over or around grief. We're going to take it piece by piece and navigate these tough topics the only way we know how, by going through it. This podcast discusses miscarriage, pregnancy, infant, and child loss. So please listen with care. Silent mystery. I'm Jen Burgard, your host, and following my own personal tragedy, founded Haven, Landscape of Loss. We're telling stories of loss and sharing our perspectives about surviving grief. When loss happens suddenly and unexpectedly, everything changes. Everything except human nature, that is. Today's guest is a professional in the very special field of lactation. How far along do you think you need to be in pregnancy for milk to come in? And what do you do when it does? This episode explains it all with Lo Nigrosh. Welcome, everyone, and welcome to our guest, Lo. Thanks for being here today. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for asking me to come. So, Lo, tell us about yourself. What is your background? So, my name is Lo Nigrosh. I have two children. Their ages are almost nine now, and my youngest just turned five. And we live in Massachusetts, rural Massachusetts. I'm actually originally from Texas, but I've lived all over the place. I think my count is since I turned 18, I'm 41 now. I'm in my 40s. And since the time I was 18, I've lived in about 35 different places. So I've lived literally all over the place. And I just like follow. I was super adventurous in my 20s and 30s, just followed opportunities. And I've had a variety of careers. And I really intensely struggled to breastfeed my first child. And that intense struggle just really made me feel like this has to be easier. I saw all these systemic barriers that made it not only difficult physically to breastfeed my son, but also just the emotional intensity of the experience. I felt really alone in my struggle. Mm -hmm. And I just thought this has got to be easier. Mm -hmm. And so that led me toward a path and becoming a lactation counselor. So I am a lactation counselor. I have been a lactation counselor, a CLC for years. Mm -hmm. The path towards becoming a lactation consultant in IBCLC, an international board certified lactation consultant, takes a long time. The educational pathway is very long. Getting the number of clinical hours takes a long time. But I have finally completed all of that and I have sat for the board exam already. I'm just waiting for the results. It takes like 10 to 12 weeks to get the results. Oh my so gosh. Wow. Hopefully I'll get those results. I just took it like a couple weeks ago. So okay. Well, congratulations. Our fingers soon, are all crossed for you. I know. Yeah. <laughs> What a breadth of knowledge, though, I would imagine you've gained since, of course, going through your own personal experiences, but then through your studies, I would imagine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even when I was struggling so intensely, I saw quite a few professionals who helped me both in just dealing with what I was dealing with and then also who I would just cry with and you know, sob in their offices and think, why me? Why is this so hard for me? Mm -hmm. And one of those people, I walked into her office one day and I said, how do you do this? How do you become an IBCLC? This was nine years ago. And she told me and I was like, 
oh my gosh, that sounds so hard. Why is it so hard to be yeah. an IBCLC? Yeah. But I said to myself, I'm going to do that. So it's been like a nine-year journey oh for gosh. me, really. Okay. I became a doula along the way. I became a childbirth educator, but I always knew that lactation was really the final path for me. And so, yes, I learned so much along the way. I was a peer counselor for, for a peer organization. And so really what I learned along the way is you just really have to hold space for people to feel whatever it is that they are feeling about however it turns out for them. Because you cannot solve everybody's lactation struggles mm, yeah. and everybody's problems and everything that comes up for them. You just can't. And so if you come to lactation thinking, I'm going to help everybody feed their babies, or I'm going to solve all of the problems that exist, you're delusional. Mm. But if you come to the field thinking, I am going to support everybody that comes along my path and help them feel like they did the best job they could and they made the best decisions they could at every given moment, then you can knock it out of the ballpark with that attitude. You can just help every person walk away feeling like whatever happened, it was not my fault and I did the best job I could. And that's really how I try to approach my work. That's an excellent way to look at it because I think no matter what, in that scenario for women, it's hard, right? I, I just don't know that it's necessarily easy for anyone everyone has a certain amount of struggle that goes along with it. And whether it's even just a decision to do it or not, I mean, that can mm -hmm. be really complicated. So when we become pregnant, right, our milk gets created. When would you say, does that happen physically? So, I mean, the mammary glands start developing in utero at like four or five weeks in utero. When a fetus is developing, in the body, those mammary glands themselves start in utero and that happens all the way through until a person becomes pregnant themselves. So that's a, that's the first interesting wow, fact. Wow, okay, yep. Yeah, so, <laughs> so just the tissue, the glands that are needed to produce milk, that's already happening from like a very young age. So it starts in utero and then of course, when adolescence hits and that hormonal shift begins and you start to see the mammary tissue grow and develop, that's like that second shift. Okay. And then what we call lactogenesis one, the production of that first milk, that begins, we typically say around 16 weeks in pregnancy. Okay. But we know that as early as 12 weeks in a pregnancy, if somebody is 12 weeks along, we could start to see milk. Wow. So we generally think around 16 weeks is like the real number that we give. Mm -hmm. But there are some cases that we've seen around 12 weeks. Some people have seen milk. And does it matter if you start producing earlier, if you've had children already, or does that factor in at all? Do you know? Yeah. So each time you do have a child, the mammary tissue begins to build upon what is already there. So that lactogenesis one starts over each time you have that child. And so if you've already done lactogenesis one, then lactogenesis one is starting over, but it's already happened. Sure. So it's like you're rebuilding what's already been built. Gotcha. So if there is a lactogenesis yeah. one, what's lactogenesis two? 
So lactogenesis one is also called secretory or secretory differentiation. And that's the beginning of the cell activity mm-hmm. for milk production. And that's under endocrine control. So it's automatic hormonal control. It's going to happen whether we want it to or not. And then lactogenesis two usually starts, that's what we consider like the mature milk. It's also called secretory or secretory activation. And that's the onset of copious milk. And this is the shortest phase of milk making. It's triggered by the delivery of the placenta. Oh, okay. Yeah, which causes a rapid drop in progesterone. Okay. And we see that milk production building, and it usually starts between 30 and 72 hours postpartum. Okay. And this is typically going to happen whether we want it to or not as well. And then lactogenesis three, at some point, it switches from that lactogenesis two There's like a phase where it switches from endocrine control, which is like automatic hormone control, to autocrine control, which is what we hear that supply and demand, where -hmm. whatever is happening at the breast, however much is being removed, is what the body is going to continue to make. So at the end of lactogenesis 2, that copious onset of milk, it'll at some point at the end of lactogenesis 2, it'll switch to autocrine control. And then lactogenesis three is when it's kind of switches to that long-term maintenance. Sure. That's interesting about that supply and demand that that's not necessarily happening right there in lactogenesis two. So that's not happening right after birth. Yeah. That usually occurs. Lactogenesis three is usually occurring from about day nine after birth. Mm Mm-hmm to whenever the weaning process happens. Sure. Well, that's really interesting. So, you know, as we're talking to women who have experienced loss, and so clearly any time after or even 12 weeks, right, or beyond, there's a chance that they're going to have milk that comes in, right? Yes. And copious milk sometimes, Mm. depending on how much milk their body makes. And that's highly variable. Sure. And so if we're talking about a woman in her third trimester, even and delivers, you know, she can expect her milk to come in, you know, her body doesn't know necessarily, Mm -hmm. right, that her baby has passed. So, you know, at that point, what are the options? for that mother? What are the options in the couple days after birth and beyond? What are choices that she has? Yeah. So I think it's really important for, first of all, I've heard of this milk that comes in during this time to be referred to as white tears. I don't know if you've ever heard that term before. But I can see that. Yeah. And to just acknowledge that this is like a physical representation of the loss. Yeah. And so in the past, what people would be told is just bind your breasts, tighten them as much as possible, wear a tightly fitted bra Mm -hmm. and just ignore the milk and it will go away. But that can actually lead to severe engorgement possible breast infection like mastitis and even breast abscesses. Oh my goodness. And so 
for some people that works out okay, mm-hmm. but it's actually probably better to have a more gradual weaning of the milk. And that can be done with hands or that can be done with an, an electric pump. Generally, you can still get a breast pump through insurance. Mm-hmm. You can reach out to a breast pump supplier and ask for a donation. Often they will just donate a pump in these situations. I worked for a breast pump supplier for four years. And if anyone ever called us and told us they were in that situation, we would send it express mail right oh, away. No questions that's, asked. That's amazing. Yeah. If mm-hmm. we could bill your insurance, sure. we would yeah. because we were a small local supplier yeah. and if yeah. we could get your insurance to pay for that. But that was not our top concern. Our top concern was taking care of this mother who was going through an extreme loss. And that is something, it does not have to be the parent going through the loss. Mm-hmm. They can get a grandparent to call. They can get a friend to call. It does not have to be the person themselves making those phone calls. That's really great to know because, yeah, so like you said, if you're wanting to, I talk to or hear of many women, there's, I want it to stop. I want it to stop. I can't do this. It hurts. It hurts my heart. Mm -hmm. You know, how do I make Mm -hmm. this stop? But the best way, the least painful way is probably not straight suppression, right? Right. Because your body is not in that phase where it's reacting to supply and demand yet. Right. Right. And you do not have to pump or express with your hands to full empty. Empty, sure. You know, quote unquote empty. You can just pump or relieve to comfort. Yeah. And that will slow down the supply more quickly. Really? So if you are pumping until the breasts are fully full, then that tells your body, oh, I need to make a lot of milk because all this milk was released. Mm -hmm. Because once it switches to that autocrine control of supply and demand, then your body is going to think, oh, I need all of this milk. And prolactin is the hormone that controls how much milk to make. When high levels of prolactin are in the blood, then more milk gets made. And the more milk that gets released, or the more often milk gets released, the more prolactin is in the blood. And so if you can just relieve a little bit, Mm -hmm. just so you're not feeling that pressure, then you're not going to have as high a level of prolactin in your blood. And then your body will downregulate to what is being That's really helpful. I mean, because I'll even say I didn't know that at the time, you know, during my loss. And I remember being engorged and just sweating and being Mm -hmm. so uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. miserable. And I couldn't sleep, right? Because my breasts Mm -hmm. hurt so much, I couldn't even rest. And so to know that I could have given myself a little bit of relief and not impacted my plan for drying up that wouldn't have impacted it. And I think that's such helpful information. The other thing that you can do is a lot of times that engorgement is coming from extra fluids going to the mammary tissue that is not milk. So extra lymph and blood goes to the mammary tissue as well. And so that extra swelling can be mitigated through anti-inflammatory measures like cold and ibuprofen. So often you're on ibuprofen anyway from just the delivery. Sure. But if you're not, go ahead and take ibuprofen and use lots of cold packs 
And people do that anyway. Often you hear of people using cold peas or cold veggies and they're they're putting them on their breasts. Mm -hmm. But that really is a good idea because it's dealing with that swelling that happens that is some from the the milk coming to the ducts, but also there's lots of fluids that come to the mammary tissues at that time. And so you can work on relieving the engorgement that happens from lots of extra fluids, not just the milk. And just that discomfort. Mm. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on the old cabbage leaves? Yeah, that's fine. They're cold. That's mm-hmm. why they work. Uh, it's because they're cold sure. and you're relieving the inflammation. And the inflammation. Okay. Yeah. So that it's more about the inflammation than than the magic exactly. cabbage. <laughs> exactly. Right. That's what's happening. It feels good on that inflamed area. Mm-hmm. The only danger to cabbage leaves is sometimes you can get bacteria built up from the cabbage leaves. Oh. So just change them more more frequently. Sure. If you choose to use that as a cold measure, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's more of what it is. Yeah. And then is there any kind of medication that a person can take over the counter that can help with this besides ibuprofen? Is there anything out there that, or a vitamin or anything? So there are herbal remedies that some people take. I do recommend that anytime you use anything, consult with your care provider. Absolutely. So consult with your OBGYN, yes. consult with your nurse midwife. There are some herbs that people do try to take to reduce their supply. So like drinking peppermint tea, mint is sometimes something that reduces supply. Sage is an herb that can reduce supply. And then sometimes people take antihistamines to reduce supply. Oh, yeah, that's right. I think I've heard of that. Okay. Yeah. So often if someone has a robust supply and then they have a cold and they take an antihistamine, they're like, what's happened to my supply? It is tanked. Yeah. Yeah. The antihistamine. So. Yeah. So if that's something that's safe for you, check with your, again, check with your care provider. Absolutely. On that. So, you know, and that's something that could be useful when we even talk about if you are even if you experienced a loss and then you choose to go another route like milk donation with a milk bank, if you're ready to wean at some point and be done doing that, you know, you still may want to go through these steps, right? To wean yourself in the most comfortable way possible because it shouldn't be a punishment, right? Right. Exactly. I mean, yeah, yeah, we just, I mean, I think you've been, these women have been through so much already. This pain just feels it just feels so brutal. It's pain on top of it. It hurts your heart and it hurts your body physically. I mean, so making that process as gentle as possible, I think is just, I think is the best way you can go about it and give yourself time and space to do that. Yeah. And then that's the other thing you just mentioned that some people do want to donate their milk. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's something that you've talked about on this podcast already. Not yet. Not yet. So I'd love to hear your perspective on it. Yeah. So there are quite a few options for milk donation. Some people say, you know what? I have this copious milk. I thought I was going to be feeding it to my own baby. I'm not ready to give up my milk yet. Mm -hmm. And I would like to keep my milk going for a while, either to feed it to a baby I know. You Mm -hmm. know, sometimes people have a friend who has low milk supply or a relative that has low milk supply and they would like to give it to somebody they know. And that's part of their healing journey. Yeah. And that is a perfectly valid way to respond to a loss. Mm -hmm. And then there is the Human Milk Banks of North America, 
M B N A. Okay. So you can look them up. They have a website. We'll put you the link in the comments locations. here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And they have sites all across the United States. That's a more rigorous donation process. And so essentially, if you can donate blood, you can donate to a milk okay. bank. Most medications are fine. So don't worry about any sort of medications. Most of the time, medications are compatible. But like if you've had a tattoo in the last year, that would disqualify you. Okay. Or if you've had a blood transfusion, sure. that would disqualify you. But there's a process and then they pasteurize your milk and then they donate it to NICU babies or they oh. donate it to sick babies. Or sometimes if there is enough milk in the milk bank, then even somebody who is struggling with milk supply, but their baby isn't in the milk bank, they're able to get that from the milk bank. So that's a more official capacity. And then there are a couple of less official donation routes that you can go. One is called human milk, the number four, for human babies. They have a Facebook. I think they mostly do it on Facebook. You can find your local human milk for human babies group and people just go on and they say, I am struggling with milk supply or I have high lipase milk or my baby has all these allergies and they try to find milk for their baby if they're struggling with milk supply. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is eats on feets is what it's called. Eats on feets. Okay. Feeds on feeds. And so it's this kind of community way of providing milk to each other. Mm-hmm. And it's more of vetting the person who's receiving the milk does the vetting themselves. Sure. It's less official. It's not pasteurized. And so the community comes together and provides milk for each other. Okay. If somebody would feels like that would be a way to provide healing for themselves to continue their milk making for a period of time to donate it, then that is definitely an option. And this is not an option that was discussed for many. In fact, milk production was not discussed with people who experienced a loss until very, very recently. I would agree with that. Yeah. And in fact, it's still not really discussed. So many people go home and they have been given no instructions about their milk making, about how to find comfort about what will be happening to their bodies. And then they get into a situation where they have an infection or they're extremely engorged and they're just left to deal with it on their own on top of all the other things. Right, on top of their trauma and their grief, everything that they're trying to do. I mean, we need to be giving them this resource and making sure that they have this right away, you know, this Mm -hmm. education piece right away. And someone needs to have that conversation with them, absolutely, if they haven't already. So yeah. the other thing, and we've touched on this a little bit, is absolutely at some point, if you know you are not feeling well, if you are getting a fever, if any of these things are starting to happen or something doesn't feel right, absolutely seek medical advice because mm-hmm. you know there are a host of things that you mentioned that do require medical intervention. So just make sure you're seeking that as needed. Yes, exactly. Yeah. If somebody is experiencing mastitis, that does typically take a round of antibiotics. If you catch it early enough, it doesn't. But if you do have the fever, the chills, severe plug ducts, a red spot on one of your breasts, 
and you feel like you've been hit like by a Mack truck, Mm -hmm. then that typically is a sign of an infection and you will need to see your doctor and get a prescription and go through a round of antibiotics. So absolutely go in if you are seeing anything like that throughout this process. And you got to think too, I mean, you're more likely to notice those things if you are paying attention, expressing a little bit, like you had mentioned, rather than just binding your breasts up, ignoring them for three days, right? And not Mm -hmm. looking, avoiding hot showers, avoiding warm situations, right? Mm -hmm. You might not even Mm -hmm. notice. And then you're going to get to a point where it's not too late, but you need to go in at that Mm -hmm. point because you haven't seen what's been going on. So yeah. So yeah. I think that's super important to just be be aware of it and and hopefully even find a partner that you're comfortable with, making sure, checking in on you, making sure that process is going okay. So Yeah. And it's okay. The nurses at the hospital where you deliver, they might not be thinking, oh, this person should have a consult with the lactation consultant. But it is okay to ask for that consult. And let's say you don't want to use a double electric breast pump, but you want to learn how to hand express to comfort. Ask that lactation consultant to teach you how to hand express. And if you can't figure it out the first time, ask them to come back a couple of times. You deserve that time just as much as anybody else. Yes. And they will. They will help you. They absolutely Mm -hmm. will help you. So, and that's a good point. You could be 16 weeks, you could be 20 weeks and, you know, sitting there going, well, I don't know. And the nurse could say, I don't know if your milk is going to come in. You should probably just operate with the knowledge that it most likely will, right? Rather than be surprised about it. So, yeah. You have got so much valuable information on your podcast. Oh, thanks. So, you know, there are a lot of people out there listening that are either walking the path of lactation after loss right now or even have children after loss. And so we know that milk making is absolutely a journey and a long one for a lot of moms. So where can we find your information and your podcast at? So my podcast is called The Milk Making Minutes, and we explore breastfeeding struggles and triumphs through the lens of systemic barriers. And really what I want people to know is that their breastfeeding struggles are not their fault and their triumphs really are the amazing miracles they feel like they are. And I say that in the tagline of my intro, because it when you can successfully feed your baby, it feels like a miracle. And I don't think that's an exaggeration, because given all the barriers there are, it truly is amazing that we are able to feed our babies. But it hasn't always been that way. But my podcast is not morose and I don't want people to think that people share their stories Mm -hmm. and I just give space for people to talk about from their view how it went for them. And then if they have any processing that needs to happen, you know, like if somebody, I had somebody share their story of a child, they perfectly breastfed their first child, no problems. She described it as being close to heaven. And then she had a second baby who had a congenital heart defect that they knew from very early on in the pregnancy. And that breastfeeding story went very differently, like multiple surgeries and lost her milk very early on from all the stress and the trauma of that. And she was comparing that story to the first story 
throughout the podcast, you hear her processing that, oh my gosh, I've been comparing this story for five years. I've been comparing this story and it's not the same. And she was able to walk away saying, oh my gosh, I breastfed that baby for six whole months. Instead of saying, I only breastfed him for six months. Right. And just being able to change that narrative. Yes, it's the language that we're using on ourselves, right? On ourselves. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. It's so empowering. And you will actually, depending on when our episodes release, you will actually be able to listen to my story and my breastfeeding journey as well on the Milk Making Minutes. So be sure to look for that one to come out. So. Thank you so much, Lo. I really appreciate this. And folks can find you through your podcast. Do you have a website that you'd like to share with us? You can find me at quabinbirthservices.com. The spelling will be in the show notes, I'm sure. Yes, it will. I also have a community group on Facebook. It's a growing one, but we discuss the systemic barriers that get in the way of breastfeeding and the ways that we can kind of slowly chip away at those. And that is the Milk Making Minutes community group. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Haven's Landscape of Loss. If you found it helpful to hear this story and are going through a loss journey of your own or supporting someone else who is, consider subscribing on wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you found this episode helpful and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with loved ones, post about it on social media, and leave a five-star rating wherever you're listening. Finally, to learn more and get even more resources about the lost journey or to send a healing gift, please visit havenmidwest.org. And while you're there, consider donating. This podcast is made possible by our partners at Tellwell, listeners like you, and folks willing to share their stories so we can all heal together. You are-